Good morning, church. If we haven't met, uh, my name is, is Lawson, uh, and I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, today, we continue on through our series in the Gospel of Luke, Luke's Gospel, um, and I, I'm excited about the, the text this morning. Uh, for the adults in the room, uh, think back to what you were like as a teenager. I know, it can be kind of painful. Right, would, would, you, would you go back and relive those days? I don't know many who, who would willingly do that, um, relive their teenage years. Teenagers in here, I have great compassion for you. Uh, it's not easy to be in that transition between, uh, between boyhood, uh, girlhood, and adulthood. Uh, and, and so I, I do have, have, I feel for you and have compassion for you. Um, this is the only passage in scripture that describes Jesus's childhood, right? Any, from, from when he was born uh, to when he started his ministry around 30. Uh, it's the only story we have of teenage Jesus. It's kind of cool. This isn't in any other of the gospels. Uh, and if you notice from our, in our text, there, there's kind of uh, these bookends, these bookend verses that give us a clue to what this text is about, why it's included. If you look at verse 40, uh, the boy grew up, Jesus grew up and became strong, filled with wisdom and God's grace was on him. And then a similar verse in 52, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature in favor with God and with people. So Luke is including this, this story as an example of how Jesus is growing up, right? How he's growing in wisdom, how he's growing in knowledge, he's growing in favor uh, with, with God and with people. And, and perhaps, uh, you know, some speculate that Luke may have talked with Mary in her old age and maybe Mary told him this story and then he chose to include it in his gospel. And the question is why? Why did he choose to include this story? And I, I think there's something here for, for teenagers. I think there's something here for moms and dads. And I think uh, perhaps all of us can put on this story and live in it a little bit this morning and, and benefit from it. We're gonna have a pretty simple outline this morning, just following the, the narrative, Jesus lost, Jesus found, Jesus in trouble, Jesus obedient. He's lost, he's found, he's in trouble, and he's obedient. Let's pray once more and we'll, we'll dive in. Father, um, in in uh, unity with, with all of our prayers, all of our singing so far, we just we want to offer ourselves to you now. Uh, would you please come and would you speak to us? Would you open our hearts to hear what you have to say? Oh, Lord, we, we, don't, uh, we don't know what's best. We don't know what we need, but you do. You know everything. And so I just pray that you would speak and that you would, uh, by your spirit through your word, that you would uh, you would reveal yourself to us now. Oh, we trust you, we need you. In Jesus' name, uh, I ask these things, amen. Jesus lost, Jesus lost. Verse 41, every year his parents traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom of the festival. Uh, I think the first thing that we see in this text is that Joseph and Mary were faithful parents. They were faithful parents. It says every year they did this. They traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. Even if you look back at, at 39, uh, when they had completed everything according to the law of the Lord, right? So they, they were, he got circumcised on the eighth day just as God had commanded. They did the sacrifices. They, they did the ceremonies. Um, this was their habit. Right? They, they kept the Jewish feast days that the Lord required. They were a part of God's people and they participated in the practices of their community. 
is part of your practice to be faithful to gather with God's people and to make sure that your kids are participating. Right? They brought Jesus along as they did. And I think this leads to a, a good conversation about, about taking kids to church. Um, satire is often effective at making a point. Um, and this is from a, uh, th- there's an article that I want to uh, quote from, a, from the Babylon Bee, which is a satire, uh, a Christian satire news site. Uh, this is from a few years ago. Here's the headline. After 12 years of quarterly church attendance, parents shocked by daughter's lack of faith. Here's an excerpt. Trevor Michelson, 48, and his wife, Carrie, 45, are reeling after discovering that after 12 years of steadily taking their daughter, Janie, to church every Sunday, they didn't have a more pressing sporting commitment, which was at least once every three months. She no longer demonstrates the strong quarterly commitment to the faith they raised her with now that she is college-aged. That's pretty good. Um, this may seem basic, uh, but, but you need to take your, your kids to church every week. Right? You need to. Now, okay, get sick. Okay, of course. Yeah, stay home if you're sick. You can go on vacation. Like, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, what's your habit? What's your habit? I hope it's a habit for you, but I know it's not for a lot of families. Um, I think I saw most recently that uh, people who call themselves members of a church generally attend twice a month. That's like the average. And that's not, that's not regular. That's half, right? That's half time. Uh, as a family, you need to be part of a church family, which means participating, means gathering. If you aren't, you may find that it becomes a habit not to be, right? As Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, and let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. And he says some, they just make it a habit not to be there. Right? And if you don't make it a habit to, to be a part, of, a part of your church, to be at church, to, to come regularly, man, you're, you're, gonna, you're gonna make it a habit not to. Um, as a student minister, I, I got this question uh, every so often. Right? Parents would come to me and be upset that their teenager didn't wanna come to church. Right? What should they do? Should, they force, should we force them? Should we let them make their own decisions? And that's a hard question, and I think it, each situation is different. Uh, but, but I think the best way to avoid that situation is to make church such a constant pillar in your family when your children are young so that it wouldn't even cross a child's mind not to go. Right? Make church a habit. We are the Andersons. If the Andersons go to church on Sunday morning, that's what we do. Don't give your children the chance to ask, are we going to church today? Are we going to church tomorrow? Now, all they need to ask is, is it Sunday? Because <laughs> they know what we're doing. I've seen some really interesting uh, data that, that shows the outsized influence that a father's regular church attendance especially has. Um, the study showed that if, uh, if a father attends church regularly, regardless of even whether his wife goes or not, uh, his children are very likely to be regular church attenders when they're adults. But if he doesn't attend church, uh, no matter what the wife does, a very few, and in one study said one in 50 uh, of the children will be regular church attenders just statistically when they're adults. So fathers especially should lead the charge here, right? Should, should, should uh, lead out in this, in this, uh, in this endeavor. And, and I think children just know. They just know whether it's real or not. They can tell, right? They can tell if this is something that, that you really value or if it isn't. 
God chose for Jesus to be raised in a family with faithful parents who circumcised him on the eighth day, who took him to Jerusalem for Passover every year, who participated in the gatherings and the rituals of the people of God. That's what he needed. And may our children likewise be raised in families devoted to the people of God, devoted to the local church. Let's look at verse 43. After those days were over, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming he was in the traveling party, they went a day's journey. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. Uh, my wife is, uh, is one of eight children, and, uh, it's, and my in-laws are some of the most godly parents and now grandparents that I, I know, and I'm so thankful for them. Uh, but she remembers a traumatic time as a child of being left at church, right? Mom thought the dad had her, dad thought mom had her. All the big families are like, yeah, I feel you, I've been there, uh, right? And, and, and she, she got left. This is very similar to what happened to Jesus here. I mean, and I think that we see that we see through this that, that faithful parents make mistakes. Amen. Right, <laughs> Mary, and please, Amen. Just someone give me something. Um, Mary and Joseph should have uh, they, they should have checked to make sure they had Jesus, but he's, they assumed oh he's with his cousins, he's with his aunts, what, he's with his uncle, whatever, uh, and he was there. And, and it wasn't until the evening when they would have stopped to rest on the journey home that you know he didn't show up. They start looking for him. You can imagine the, the, the panic, right, and, and the inner conversations that Mary and Joseph must have had, you know, like, we lost the Son of God. We had one job. <laughs> right, we make mistakes. No parent, however faithful, is perfect. We're all flawed. We're all sinners. We, we sometimes miss what we should catch. Uh, and, and the important thing is, is not, not to beat ourselves up. Uh, God's grace covers our mistakes. He covers our sin. But, but how do we respond? How do we respond? What did Joseph and Mary do? They begin looking, right? They realize and they go, okay, we're gonna find it. They love their son. They're gonna, they're gonna look for him. Now, what do we do when we make mistakes? Do we work to remedy them? What do we do when we sin against our children? Do we ask their forgiveness? Right, talk to them, ask for, ask for, please forgive me, buddy. I'm so sorry about I, I said that. I shouldn't have. Our response to our sins and mistakes, more than our mistakes themselves, show whether we're faithful or not. Faithful parents do, do make mistakes. Uh, next, Jesus found. So Jesus was lost, but they found him. Uh, verse 46, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all those who heard him were astounded at his understanding and his answers. This is likely, uh, uh, the three days is likely a day travel there. So they went a day and then they traveled a day back and then they found him on the third day. Um, so it probably wouldn't have been that hard to locate him in, in Jerusalem when all the crowds had left in the temple, the central building in Jerusalem. So uh, they, they found him there. Jesus is in the temple with the teachers and he says that he's learning from them. He's asking them questions. We begin to get a sense, I think, of why this narrative is included it shows us a little bit about what 12-year-old Jesus was like. What would Jesus have been like if you had met him as a 12-year-old? Well, he's in the temple. He's learning. He's asking questions. He's growing in wisdom. 
And he's growing in favor with people. Everyone's, everyone's astounded, it says, at the maturity, the understanding, the insight of this 12-year-old boy. Right? The, the, pas- the message of this passage is that he's growing. Jesus is learning. He's growing. And so we shouldn't conceive of Jesus as coming from the womb of a fully formed adult intellect, right? knowing that he was God, knowing what his mission was. Right? That, that's, not, that's not what we, we see here. Um, he's growing he, as a teen. He's a humble, teachable, kind, polite kid. He couldn't be sitting with the teachers asking them questions, people being astounded if that wasn't true. He learns the law like every other Jewish boy. He talked with those older than him. He asked questions to gain wisdom and gain insight. And if you're a young person in here, a child or a teenager, one of the great temptations for you, one of the great temptations for all of us at your age is, is to think that you know everything, right? This is the classic teenage response, isn't it, to parents? I know, right? Like, you know, you feel like you know everything. You, don't, you couldn't learn something from someone older than you. But notice Jesus, the God-man who made everything as a teenager. If there ever, if there ever was a teenager who didn't, uh, who didn't need to learn from older people, right? Who did know better, <laughs> right? Who, 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 who uh, didn't need to ask questions. It was this teenager. But that's not who he was. That's not who he was. He wanted to be around those who were older and wiser than him to ask questions and to learn from them. Do you think that, young person, that you're better or wiser or more competent than Jesus? Of course not. If he needed to learn to grow in wisdom and knowledge, you needed even more. You need to cultivate humility in your life to get around wise people and, and ask them questions and listen to them. This is the way to grow in wisdom. It's the way Jesus grew in wisdom. And already there are signs, right, that this is a special child. Mary and Joseph knew people are beginning to see this is a special child. Jesus lost and Jesus found. And now third and, and most interestingly, I think Jesus in trouble. Jesus in trouble. When his parents saw him, verse 48, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Mary and Joseph, they're understandably upset. Didn't Jesus care about them? Think about what they've been going through. Right? If, you, if you've ever uh, lost a child even for a few minutes, you know the panic, the, the fear, the anxiety. And Mary likely speaks out of that fear and anxiety right here. It says that they were astonished when they found him. They were astonished when they saw him in the temple. And it's a good question. Why were they astonished? They, they knew who Jesus was, right? So they knew, they knew some of who he was, what he, was, what he had come to do. But he was also their little boy. He was also their little boy. And think about it. He was a little boy without sin. Jesus had, had always loved them perfectly, Right? He had always obeyed them, always honored their wishes. But he had, at this time, chosen to stay and spend time in the temple against what his parents would have wanted. So they're astonished. Every teenage boy, I think, has to, has to work out at some point his own identity apart from his parents, and especially from his mother. 
Um, 13 was the age that boys would become initiated into the community of men, all right? A transition point from boyhood to manhood. You can see this in the, the, you know, the continuing tradition of the bar mitzvah, right? It happens on the 13th birthday, uh, which doesn't date back to the time of Jesus, but shows that Jews still celebrate the, the transition to adulthood at 13. In this story, Jesus is 12, and so this is the transition year. Uh, th- this is the, the time right before Mary's gonna have to let go. And mothers often want to hold on. And I've seen so much conflict, especially between teenage uh, boys and their moms as the time to establish themselves as men approaches. But Jesus, so Jesus is in trouble. Let's look at how he responds here. Verse 49, what, why were you searching for me? He asked them. Didn't you know that it was necessary for me to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. We might not understand either, right? What is he saying? Is he being disrespectful here? Well, no, we know Jesus is without sin. He wasn't being disrespectful. He didn't say this in a disrespectful way. I I love how the, the real Jesus is always surprising, you think you have Jesus figured out and you're like, yeah, I know, I know who he is, I know how he'd respond. And then you, read, you actually read the gospels and he says stuff and you're like, I would not, what does that mean? Why did he say that? He'll always surprise you, right? You gotta, you gotta re- get in the gospel. You haven't read the gospels, so you gotta read them to encounter the real Jesus, not just, some, uh, not just the, what, pe- what you've heard about him, but, but him himself. He always, he's always surprising, so what's he saying here? Why, why does he say this? Well, I think there's a clue in, in one word that he uses uh, that's translated as the phrase, it was necessary. It was necessary that I be in my father's house. Some translations say, didn't you know I must be? I must be in my father's house. Well, uh, Daryl Bach in his commentary on Luke, uh, he, he points out that this word is actually a, a word that Jesus uses very strategically in this book, the whole gospel of, of Luke. It's used nine other times in the gospel. And I'm gonna put them up there. It was necessary. Uh, then these are the other times that it, it's used. It was necessary to preach the kingdom of God, to suffer, to die, and be raised. Chapter 13, he must go to Jerusalem. Chapter 17, to suffer. Chapter 19, to remain with Zacchaeus. 22, to be reckoned with criminals, to suffer, die, and be raised, to suffer and come into glory. That's Scripture about him be fulfilled. In all these things, Jesus, it was necessary that this happened. And these are all fundamental things to who he is and to his mission, to his identity as the Savior of the world. And so this was the first. This is the first time that he says this. These are the first recorded words in Luke uh, that we have from Jesus. And he says, it was necessary that I be in my Father's house. What does it mean? What's he, what is, what is that, what's he talking about? Well, first, for, for Jesus to call God his father in this way, it reveals a unique relationship. Jews didn't typically use this word for Yahweh, for God. Um, and so this shows that Jesus understands something of his unique relationship with his father. And I think the primary thing is that Jesus is, is in, this, in this, these, this response, he's asserting his allegiance to God first over and against even his parents. And so he shows that he's understanding his identity and his mission. While he may have stayed in Jerusalem in opposition to his parents' expectations, he stayed in Jerusalem in obedience to his father's call. He will follow his father regardless of what any authority, even his parents, might say. But these are, these are, as I said, the first words we have from Jesus and also the first example we have of Jesus stepping out in obedience to his father on his own, 
right? Which of course he would continue to do despite opposition from every human authority of the time. He knows who he is. He knows who his father is. He knows that he will obey his father. Lastly, Jesus obedient. Jesus obedient. Verse 51, he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. Then his mother, his mother kept these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with people. Jesus submitted to his parents. Right? It's, that verse is just amazing. He went down with them, came to Nazareth, was obedient to them. It's just all submission. He, he didn't say in, in a rebellious teenage spirit, right, now that I'm almost a man and I know who I am, I'll come down to Nazareth when I'm good and ready. No, he was so submissive. They, they didn't understand his response to them. Like he, the, the text even says, Jesus answered them and they didn't understand him. So you gotta imagine the next thing was, son, come with us, <laughs> right? Son, come with us. Uh, and, and he goes with them. He goes immediately and he's obedient to them. And I love this part. I love it. It's so good. This, this is the good news for teenagers and for all of us who have been teenagers. God, clearly we know God commands children to obey their parents. Right? We know when we're, as we're under our, our parents' authority, we are to obey them. If there ever was a teenager who had the right to correct his parents, right, to explain how they didn't understand who he was or what he was about, to, to push back against their authority, to their wishes, it was Jesus. <laughs> if there ever was a teenager who was right, he was right. Don't you remember, as a te- those of you who used to be teenagers, you were right. And who had the truth on his side, who had a clean record even of always following his parents' rules to back him up who had every ability and means to explain himself and justify his actions. It was Jesus right here. But is that what he does? No. No, he submits to them. The perfect son to flawed and sinful parents. Now, if you are a teenager or you've ever been a teenager, I'm gonna bet that full submission was not your story and is not your story. But here we have in scripture just this gem. We have on display the righteousness of Christ on your behalf and mine. Right? Because where, where you rebelled against your parents' authority, where you justified yourself, where you push back against your parents' wishes, where you cross boundaries and rules that you knew were wrong, Jesus never did. Jesus never did. He was submissive. He was obedient. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that on the cross, Christian, he became your sin and you became his righteousness. He became your teenage rebellion and you became his teenage obedience and submission. Your record of wrongs, the actual things you did to your parents, the actual things you did in rebellion were put on Christ and the appropriate wrath was poured out on him for those things. 
and his record of perfect obedience was put on you, right? This verse, Luke 2.51, was put on you, and you receive the reward that Christ deserves, eternal life. Right, this is why we sing, our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. What a wonder, what a gift. As a teenager, um, I was pretty much a rule follower. Uh, that has all of its own deep heart problems, right? Uh, but, but when I was 15 and I started dating uh, Caroline, who's now my wife, my parents are sitting in here, um, so you can check out this story with them. Uh, but I got comfortable bending some rules, uh, especially the rules of the, the phone. Uh, we would talk for hours and hours after I was supposed to be off. You know, it's a school night. Uh, don't talk till 4 a.m. What? <laughs> I, I meant to talk to you before the sermon, but I thought I could just confess it right now. Uh, <laughs> uh, now, uh, what, what, uh, was that a good rule? Well, as a parent now, I would say yes, I think it was a good rule. Uh, but that doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter because it was the rule and I broke it, right? It was the rule, I broke it. That, that was wrong. I, and I tried to justify it in my mind, um, and, and, but you know, I always knew deep down it was wrong. I, I shouldn't do that. And for that sin, I mean, for a million others before and since, I am thankful for a savior who is obedient to God in every way and who gives me his record. And he took that sin and all my others and he went to the grave in death and he left them there and he rose in victory in glorious resurrection life and I get to rise with him though I am a sinner and I don't deserve it. Why does he love us like he does? Why, how is this possible? It is. It is. The offer is the same. The offers, this is what we talk about, it's what we sing about, it's why we, 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 it's why we love him, it's why we, we give our lives to him. The offer's the same for you, whatever your teenage or otherwise rebellion is. Whatever burden of guilt and shame you carry, Jesus will take it away. And if you repent, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It's unbelievable. It was necessary for Jesus to be in his father's house and it was necessary for him to suffer, to die and to rise for you and I to be saved. We celebrate the baby Jesus at Christmas. We celebrate the adult and risen Jesus at Easter. But in this passage, I think we get the chance to celebrate the teenage Jesus the one who lived our whole human life, who was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. What a gift. What grace. Let's praise him together. Let's, uh, let's pray as the band comes. Father, we, we so appreciate uh, you putting this, this passage in your word, and we so appreciate you sending your son Jesus, it's so impressive that you were tempted in every way that we are, even as teenagers, that you, you were tempted in all the ways teenagers are tempted, and yet you never sinned. You submitted to your authority. You submitted to your parents. 
even though they didn't understand, even though they didn't even know, you knew better than they did, and you submitted to them. Thank you for your righteousness that we need. Thank you that we stand today, not on our own merit, that we, don't, we can't do anything to please you, but only on the righteousness of Christ that is full and complete and free. Would you help us to live in that? Would you set us free? Would we, would we appreciate um, today your righteousness uh, that, makes us, that makes us holy, that makes us pure and blameless before you? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.